Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee inviting you to join me for the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past with the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are featuring Fibber McGee and Molly, Breakfast in Hollywood with Tom Brenneman, the complete cast of It Pays to be Ignorant, and our in-person guest, Eddie Ryan. And now here's Jim and Marion Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly. Well, I'll be doggone. Molly, do you realize what day this is? Well, now let me see. Wednesday is the day you forget to put the garbage can out. Thursday is the day when you never have your shirt bundle ready for the laundryman. So I guess this must be Friday. I'm not talking about the days of the week, Molly. This is a special holiday. Can you guess which one? I don't believe so. I just hope it isn't something we exchange gifts for. I didn't get you a thing. It's not that kind of a holiday, Molly. It's Citizenship Day. Heavenly days, McGee. That's not a holiday. Somebody's always proclaiming special days like Citizenship Day, but nobody pays much attention to them. Well, by George, this is one day they ought to pay attention to. Do you realize what it means to be an American? Well, I guess I do. I've been one almost all my life, ever since we migrated from Peoria. Oh, Molly, you're making woody words of whimsy, and this is a pretty darn serious thing. Well, I'm sorry, McGee, but until right now, you've never impressed me as being much of a patriot. You certainly weren't waving the flag when you had to pay your income taxes last spring. Well, I've been thinking the whole thing over since I read in the paper about this being Citizenship Day, and I've just realized what a big heritage I've got to live up to. Well, I can't deny that you've got a big heritage. But if you'd get a little more exercise and eat fewer starches, it might not show so much. Ah, put. I'm speaking of our American heritage, which was handed down to us from the pioneers, and which we've got to keep intact to pass along to our future forefathers. I'm surprised to hear you talk that way, McGee. What do you mean? I always thought that your knowledge of American history was pretty well confined to memorizing the name of the Major League batting champions since 1900. Molly, you just couldn't be dead wronger. No, really? I know all about what the Minutemen went through at Valley Forge. Everybody suffered plenty. Even George Washington had to chop down cherry trees and toss silver dollars across the Potomac to keep warm. And he was doing it all for us, Molly. The generations of ancestors still unborn. Well, I've got to admit one thing, McGee. What you lack in facts, you certainly make up in spirit. It's nice of you to say so, kiddo. And I know all about Gettysburg, too. Men from the north and south all going up there to play golf with the president. It was their way of preserving the Union. I never did read what union it was, but I've got a hunch it was the International Ladies' Garment Workers. In any event, the thing is part of our national heritage, and I'm quite willing to admit that I haven't lived up to it. Oh, don't get upset about it, McGee. I think you're a pretty good citizen. I don't see how you can say that. To be a good citizen, you've got to take an active part in democracy. And by George, that's just what I'm going to do. Get me a pencil and paper. What are you going to write? I'm going to write a letter to my congressman. Do you realize that it's been over a year since I've dropped him so much as a postcard to tell him what a bum I think he is? <laughs> That's Fibber McGee and Molly from 1950. We have a guest on the program uh, on this particular edition of the Golden Days of Radio, and uh, about 1950 I met our guest, 
And he'd been in radio for years before that and continued in radio for some time after that. Eddie Ryan, welcome to the golden days of radio. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here at Memory Lane. In Memory Lane, you say. <laughs> you were in radio about 19 – you started about 1930, didn't you? Uh, th- about 31, 31, I think. In New York? In New York City. We uh, worked on radio shows um, called um, Coast to Coast on a Bus, uh, which was a children's program. And uh, my first experience on radio, I used to stand up and recite Indian stories written by a man who was a cartoonist. And in those years, you couldn't go on radio without a prepared script. Mm-hmm. because they were afraid of dead air. And I was too young to read. But I had a script in my hand and had memorized these little stories. And my mother would sit in the front row. It was an audience show. <clears throat> and uh, I would talk about uh, the exploits of this little Indian boy. And uh, that was the start. And that was about 1931 mm-hmm. at uh, 7-11 Fifth Avenue. The old NBC studio. Before Rockefeller Center was completed, yeah. After that, you went on to uh, to be a regular on a very famous program. Yes, I left NBC and went over to CBS uh-huh. and worked on uh, Let's Pretend. I still don't know the name of that song. I don't, I don't either. That show was on for about 25 years, wasn't it? I worked it for 11. When I started, it had been on for three years. It wasn't titled Let's Pretend when it started. It was uh, had a different title. It was... Uh, Two girls' names, I don't remember, Mary and Jane or something of that sort. But our biggest uh, uh, joy on that program was, of course, its creator, Nyla Mack. And I say joy in quotation marks because we had quite a troop of kids that were working the show for many years. And we all played all kinds of parts, which was the, the fun of doing that show. And we had a live audience. There was a time when we didn't, and uh, we used to do the program from a studio. Then they got fancy... And they decided that they were going to do an evening show. We were on Saturday mornings for years. Mm-hmm. So they switched to a Wednesday night, and then they would divide up the programs. And they tried a two-part thing. So you had to remember a week apart what the show was about. And that didn't uh, go over too well. And they went back to Saturdays. What did they pay you for doing a Let's Pretend show? Almost. They almost paid They you. almost paid us, yes. We started off for $2.50. That much. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, then we were raised up about another 50 cents. We got up to three and then three and a half. And then I think we went all the way up to five dollars. And the last of those programs that I worked was the last sustaining program, unsponsored. That was just before I came out here under contract at 20th Century Fox, 1943. And uh, the next program after that, when I was in California, they were getting, I think, $75 a week back in New York. You, on you mean show. you were on for 11 years for less than $5 a show? Right. right. Then they went up to $75 right. <laughs> My timing wasn't very good. Can you do anything about residuals? Because I figure they owe you about $33,000. Wouldn't that be nice? I would, I, I'll split it with you if we can manage to get it, Frank. Uh, you said you came out here uh, under contract to 20th Century Fox, and then uh, uh, a few years later you did a program with Tom Brenneman, who had the famous restaurant here in Hollywood, oh, and yeah. a show called Breakfast in Hollywood. Yeah, they, uh, they made a picture. Tom's uh, radio show was so popular. It was one of the top shows in the country uh, and was on at an ungodly hour in the morning. And uh, I, I say ungodly to me. Obviously, there were a few people in the country who got up at that hour to hear it. But Tom lived out in the valley before the freeway was built, and he used to get up uh, before the sun in the morning to drive into Hollywood. And uh, his program 
had a contagion to it that uh, uh, you couldn't listen and not want to hear more. He was a tremendous uh, character, Tom. He had the most infectious laugh of any person I ever met. I was going to say that. Well, would you believe I have an excerpt from a Tom Brenneman show about 1945 that you were on. You and your mother were actually at the restaurant. Break it. (laughs) And we're going to play it right now. We're all in the picture breakfast in Hollywood is sitting here. Eddie Ryan. I want you to meet him, too. Eddie? Good morning, Mr. Brenneman. How are you, boy? May I offer my heartiest congratulations on the start of your seventh year? You, you really don't look at it. It's all right. You've held up beautifully. Yeah, yes, I did. Yes. Of course, I could have played the juvenile role in the picture, but I didn't want to do it all, would I, Ed? Well, no. As a matter of fact, uh, an incident happened right after the picture was released, Mr. Brenneman. Mm-hmm. I was uh, walking along the boulevard one day, and a lady stopped me, and she said, uh, Oh, pardon me, young fellow. Aren't you the boy that played the sailor in Tom Brenneman's Breakfast in Hollywood? I said, well, Yes, I am. And she said, I wonder, would you do me a favor? Oh, I said, certainly, and I was all ready with my pen in hand to give her an autograph, and she said, I wonder, would you please get me an autograph picture of Tom Brenneman? Uh, That's what you're up <laughs> But she did say... Well, what's so funny about that, now? <laughs> she did say that you were so wonderful in the picture that she thought you should make more, and I told her that I was played right along with her that we're going to make a sequel to Breakfast in Hollywood. This will be called Lunch in Pasadena. Thank you, Eddie. <laughs> I want you to meet Mrs. Ryan. How do you do, Mr. Brandon? Hello, Miss Ryan. It's nice to have you with us. Thank you very and much. And your guest is who? Mrs. Perry from Brooklyn. What's your first name? Lillian. Lillian Perry from Brooklyn. There's an incident with Mrs. Perry. Mrs. Perry is the lady who's responsible for making me a fan of yours. Oh, is in, that so? Uh, back in Brooklyn, why, she used to come over to our place and uh, say, did you hear Mr. Brenneman on the radio this morning? Why, he's wonderful. And I said, no, I haven't. She said, well, he's almost as good as Don McNeil. So mm-hmm. I had to listen, so... <clears throat> he's not getting any better as he goes along, I think. Well, you're a very intelligent woman, Miss Perry. Thank you, Mr. Brandon. about her hats? Mrs. Perry is closely, closely associated with hats. Oh, I see you have a millinery business over back there, do you? Mr. No, I work in Franklin Simon in, in, in New York. Well, that's enough advertising for Franklin Simon. <laughs> Incidentally, we're going for a hat now. That hat Mrs. Perry is wearing is very attractive, but uh, I spotted one, Johnny. I don't... Oh, did you see this one with a... I don't know. Yeah. The... Huh? Well, he went on, and, and uh, he was very famous for uh, doing the hat routine. He oh, he would, uh, the ladies would wear the most outlandish get-ups to the studio in hopes, of course, that he would pick them out and put his, uh, put his uh, head under their hat. And, uh, of course, they got an orchid and a kiss and so forth. And then uh, for somebody else, he'd pull out one of those extra-long cigars, those comedy cigars, and he'd give that to a girl. And those big combs that he used to give yeah. to bald men. <laughs> I think he, he and uh, Hedda Hopper went into business together. Hedda Hopper was known for her hats, too, the columnist. Well, she was in the picture. She was in the picture, yes. but they'd started a business. I didn't know that. I think. You see, I, I got up see. this morning, and all of these things are coming to me now, all of this knowledge that I'm getting. Thank you. Uh, no, actually, um, uh, I think Tom's great... Uh, talent, he told the truth. He'd see something that looked atrocious, and he'd say so. And then he'd laugh, and everybody would laugh with him. And it was a good-natured thing, because even though it might offend that particular individual, in a moment he'd turn around and say something equally offensive to somebody else, and the woman that he had just offended would be laughing at her. So everybody always had a good time. Well, it and sure sounded like yeah, it. they really did. When you did radio shows in, in uh, New York, uh, now a lot of the programs were coast-to-coast and they were live, but other programs were pre-recorded. Oh, yeah. Uh, how would yeah. they do the pre-recording? Of pro- I mean, they didn't have tape like we no, have today. No. In fact, it was a very tedious process. They had, um, I remember we did a program called um, Uncle Natural, which was a, a story. Uh, Uncle of, who? Uh, Uncle Natural. Oh, I see. And they were stories that were sent down to the South, about the South in the Civil War. And there was this uh, old-time uh, 
fellow and this old colored man who would be recounting all of the incidents of the past and then they would segue from the narration into the story itself. And they recorded these and sent physically sent them down to be played on the southern networks in that area where they were selling this uh, Chilean nitrate for fertilizer and so forth. And we would take, uh, oh, days for recordings and we'd had big productions and full orchestras and uh, we would tape, we would tape, there's the modern coming up, we would record on wax discs, which were about two to three inches thick. They were kept in a, in a large container that was heated to the proper temperature, and they would bring these discs out as though they were solid gold and put them on the turntables, and then we'd record. And the pressure with recording, although you'd think it would be less, was always much greater than when we were on the air live, because nobody wanted to make a mistake and have to stop, and they'd have to clean off the discs and start all over again. You see, you know, how they got the wax impression onto a finished recording that was playable, I don't know. I don't know what the technical process on that was. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you do. No, I, I have no idea. That was a long, long time ago. Oh, that it was. That <laughs> it was. What, was. what was one of your most popular programs when you lived in New York? What did you like the best? What kind of programs did you like? Well, as a matter of fact, I used to enjoy a program that uh, uh, was a Western, uh, Bobby Benson. Oh, Bobby Benson yeah. of the BBRB. Billy yeah. Hallop played it. And, Did you uh, ever work on that show? I never worked it. You know, that's the funny part of it. You work so many radio shows as a kid, and the illusion is gone because you're participating in creating it. And yet, when I would go home and I'd listen to, uh, to, the, uh, <laughs> to the Western show, I would have such a vivid imagination of what was going on. I wanted to watch the show. Uh-huh. And I never did get to see the show, although I knew Billy very well. But... Uh, that was kind of strange as a kid because here I was in the midst of all of these things and yet that one particular show just piqued my imagination. That's the one regrettable loss, of course, with radio today is that we don't have those kind of um, imaginative uh, developing uh, shows. Now you watch TV and uh, <laughs> nothing is left of the imagination. Until the picture tube goes off. Then you're back to radio again. Yes. Did well, you like uh, a show called It Pays to Be Ignorant? It Pays to Be Ignorant followed uh, my association with its originators. I had made uh, two motion pictures with Howard and Shelton and uh, been on the radio with them in the 30s as a kid, and I was very popular with those fellas because Tom Howard, who at that time was the comic, later became the straight man, so to speak, on the page to be ignorant. He liked to, uh, a la uh, W.C. Fields, beat up little children, as it were, and uh, I was one of the few kids that wasn't afraid of him because I knew he was kidding. And uh, so I made a, a few uh, short subject movies with him. But uh, that Pays to Be Ignorant show was, uh, I guess, one of the biggest successes on radio, wasn't it? Well, it was a, it was a fun show. It's one of my favorites, yeah. I'll say that, and we use as many as we can on the golden days of radio. We're going to play one right now. First oh, of all, Eddie, I want to thank you for joining me on the golden days of radio. And I'd like to have you come back sometime because you've got some great stories that you some that I can tell. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I've got some recordings of of some stories that you told about uh, 15, 20 years ago. We'll play them someday, maybe on the last, the final episode of the golden (laughs) days of radio because you you were never in, in better form. At any rate, I wish radio were still around today so that you could participate in it, but I, I want to thank you for joining me today. It's my pleasure, Frank. Thank you for asking me. And now, here we go with It Pays to be Ignorant. Folks, that brings us up to the part of the program where we have asked the studio audience to take part. We have invited several members of the audience up here on the stage, 
they can ask the experts a question. If they get an intelligent answer, we give them the entire output of the United States Mint for one day. <laughs> if they don't, and they won't, we just gave them enough to buy a war bond. Who was our first contestant, Mr. Elliott? Mr. Howard, meet machinist mate second class, Joseph Chris. Oh. Uh, how do you do, Mr. Chris? We're mighty glad to have you on our program. It's nice to have you with us. Uh, let, is you, this your hometown, New York? No. Where are uh, you from? Would you mind telling us? Bloomfield, Connecticut. Bloomfield, Connecticut? Yeah. Well, what do you know about Bloomfield, Connecticut? My gosh, if that don't bring back memories. What do you mean? I used to work in that town. All right. <laughs> work in that town. Please, this is getting tiresome. No, no, no I'm no care. I was a dentist in a victory garden. Uh, you, you, were, you were a dentist in a victory garden? Yeah, I used to pull out old roots. You used to pull out old roots. <laughs> Never mind. Please. I had a lot of nerve to All pull right, out. All right, we're getting away from our contestants. Uh, would you mind telling us what you did before you entered the service, Mr. Chris? Well, I used to work on construction work. Construction work? Operate uh, shovels. Bulldozers, uh, jackhammer. Uh, oh, I see. Building bridges or things bridges like... Bridges and dikes and roads. And Building dikes bridges, and roads. Did it ever make you cross? It never... Uh, missed <laughs> <laughs> All right, never mind. Uh, do you like being in the service, Mr. Chris? Yes, very much. Uh, uh, you enjoying yourself in New York? Oh, I'm enjoying myself immensely. Why? Met any young ladies here that you thought you'd like? Huh? <laughs> you don't have to answer that. <laughs> what, what, what do you intend doing when you leave the service? Construction work? I suppose so. Yeah, well, I suppose. Different line, though. <laughs> that'll be as good as any. Well, uh, you certainly you... do make a fine-looking sailor, I will yeah, say that. Yeah, don't he, though? Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was a spy in the last war. <laughs> Spot. You were a spy. Well, I wouldn't like that. Oh, it's a good job if you don't lose your head. If you don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said before, we're glad to have you with us, and it's nice to have you here. And uh, have you got a question for us? Yes. What kind of... <laughs> Take your time. What kind of seafood do they make fish cakes out of? Oh, that's very good. What kind of seafood do they make fish cakes out of? Is that right? That's right. Did you hear the question? I heard the question, Mr. Howard. You don't have to repeat it. Well, now, that's great. <laughs> we certainly are getting along great here. We're improving, Mr. McNaughton. You heard the question, and perhaps you can tell me the answer. Well, I say, Mr. Howard, isn't that expecting too much? I mean, uh -huh. after all, you know, there's a limit to everything. Uh, oh, what no. was the question, Mr. Howard? What kind of seafood do we make fish cakes from? Fish cakes? Do fish eat cakes? Fish eat cakes. No, fish cakes. I'm talking about fish cakes. Oh. Boy, I never heard of fish cakes. And I've been fishing all my life, and I've yet to catch a fish cake. You have yet to catch a fish cake. <laughs> Mr. Sheldon, I sure do wish I had sore eyes. Yeah. You would be a sight for them. Miss McConnell, do you do any cooking at home? Oh, certainly. Today I baked a sponge cake. A sponge cake? Yep. I spun the eggs, eggs off of Sadie Wright. Uh -huh. I sponge the flour from Mrs. Goodman. And I sponge the sugar from Mrs. Haynes. Yes, yeah, sponge cake. Sponge cake. Sponge cake. <laughs> you know? Oh, yes. That's very tasty, you know. Very tasty. Yeah, you know, Mr. Howard, I went to a cooking school for two years. You went to cook? Did you graduate? Oh, rather, I graduated with flying crawlers. Flying crawlers. Flying crawlers. I don't get it. <laughs> I didn't think you would. 
You know, I went for lunch today and there was no one home, so I got my own lunch. You got your own lunch? Yeah, I cooked some cold boiled ham. I see. You cooked some cold boiled ham? <laughs> well, how do you cook cold boiled ham? You just take the ham and boil it in cold water. Ah, oh, It's simple. Best of show. Without a doubt, I must say, you have the lowest IQ I ever saw. Can I help it if my suspenders are loose? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Your brains are loose, too. The question is, what seafood do we make fish cakes out of? Now, let's get... I tell you what we better do, Mr. Riley. Suppose we pay our guests here for the question. Fish cakes are made from codfish. How much will I pay him, Mr. Howard? Well, uh, I don't know. Are you going anywhere after the program tonight, Mr. Chris? Yeah. You are, huh? Do you think $20 would make the evening more interesting? Think you would. You think it would? Okay, pay him twenty dollars, Mr. Elliott. Here you are, Joe Chris. Twenty dollars with the compliments of Peel's beer. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you a lot. Let's get on here. Who is our next next guest, Mr. Elliott? Mr. Howard, this is Mary Vale, and she's a whack. Well, how do you do, Miss Vale? I must say it's very nice to have you with us, Miss Vale. Oh, yes, indeed it is, rather, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Looks charming, doesn't she, Mr. Howard? Yes, she does. Very charming. And me with small eyes and no ambition. Yes. <laughs> and don't forget your flat feet. Is New York your hometown, Miss Vale? No, it isn't. Uh, would you mind telling us where you're from? Detroit, Michigan. Oh, Detroit, well, Michigan. Oh, Detroit. What do you know about that Detroit, Michigan? Yeah, yeah. It? You know, I never worked in that you town. Never, you never... Oh, <laughs> You know, Mr. Howard, I played in that town. You played in Detroit? Oh, yes, Miss Vale. I played in Shakespeare's As You Like It with the original cast. Well, with, wait a minute. With the original cast? Why, Mr. McNaughton, the original cast has been dead over 300 years. Oh, no wonder I got all the laughs. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> do you like the service, uh, Miss Vale? Yes, I do very much. I, I, I noticed you've got a stripe on your arm. What does that signify? On my arm? Yeah. Oh, that's a private first class. Oh, private first class. I wondered uh, if you were ranked the same as the male portion of the army. Yes, we are. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. I'm learning things every day here, Mr. Elliott. You know that? <laughs> Have you a question for us tonight? Yes. Uh, what precious stone do we see in a pearl necklace? Well, now, that, that's a very, very good question. Did you hear the question, gentlemen? What, what precious stone do we see in a pearl necklace? My old man bought me something nice for my neck. I see. What was it, a rope? A rope. <laughs> no, it wasn't a rope. Well, he bought me a lavalier. A lavalier? For your neck? Why, we got one of them things hanging in the middle of our dining room. <laughs> Mr. Sheldon, for your information, that's a chandelier. Oh, no, no, Mr. Howard. A chandelier is a, is a piece of furniture with drawers in it. You put your ties and your collars. <laughs> that's a chevonier. Oh, no, a chevonier is a man who sells things to the highest bidder. That's an auctioneer. Are oh, you crazy? You don't got to holler at us. I know an auctioneer. An auctioneer is one of those fellas that pushes boats around in the Venice Canal. And oh, wait a minute. That's a gondolier. Oh, I beg to differ with you, Mr. Howard. A gondolier is a man who runs an engine. That's an engineer, Mr. McDonald. That runs an engine. What an engineer. What kind of an engine? What kind? An engine, an engine. One of those big clumsy things that shoots off steam. Now we're back to Miss McConnell again. <laughs> Well, that wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio. 
This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next week for more shows and personalities from radio's golden days. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service. We'll be right back.